Hello, and welcome to the Meaning Making Podcast. I'm joined by my grandmother, Polly Ferez, or as I call her, Mom, to talk about the manifestations of structural violence through anti-Black racism that has had a profound and life-changing impact on her life. In this episode, we will discuss her experiences going through the immigration system in Canada in the 1970s, her children's experiences dealing with prejudice in the school system, and general anti-Black racism more broadly in Canada. Hi, Mom. Hi, Naomi. My grandmother grew up in St. Thomas, Jamaica, and immigrated to Canada in her early 20s. To set up the context for our conversation, can you bring me through the moment you knew you wanted to immigrate to Canada? Yes, I was about 18 years old, and my aunt would travel a lot. She always talked about the United States, Canada, how beautiful it is and rich and everything and I thought oh yeah that's where I would like to be <laughs> so it was like a, a, a childhood dream to travel and then later um, when I became older um, there was this man and he owned uh, the electrical company that supplied electricity and he was he was white and he always he was he lived in Canada way back in I guess in the 30s and he said oh, Canada is so beautiful of all the place for him would want to live it would be Canada and Jamaica Jamaica only because it's the weather yeah. but he said Canada and he said and he would say to me remember see all these mountains you see here there's not much mountain in Canada it's mostly flat <laughs> you know and stuff like that and you would always tell me how beautiful it is the people the games the winter games how cold it is and stuff like that so it's something you you admired just by listening you said oh yeah more on that walk me through what it was like immigrating to canada like a dream because i wanted to help my my siblings for a better life because that's that's what we were told so you think well yes it will be a great life here in Canada but it wasn't so it was different you have to work really hard so that I did I do do a lot for my siblings and especially my mom and my dad and we had a great time during our young years in Canada and the brothers and sisters they achieve a lot as well so it was good what was the most difficult thing about emigrating to Canada you didn't you didn't know what it would be like what life would would be so it was very difficult for me being what 23 years old in a new country wanted to go to school wanted to achieve so much but it was very hard very hard to achieve what I wanted. The uncertainty that my grandmother faced was one of the most difficult things about immigrating to Canada. This along with the fact that she could not achieve the goals that she set out to due to her intersecting identities of oppression. How were you treated differently as a racialized immigrant? It was it was everywhere you go you were treated differently it wasn't one place if you're in the 
supermarket you're treated differently you hop to the cashier you could see the prejudice there and then you would end up after a while you realize well that's the way it is and you learn to accept it that you go to the bank the teller is nice to the other people and they're just wish you weren't there so you you accept that that's what I do I accept I, this is the way you are that's the way you want to treat me fine that's it's on you not me my grandmother describes the treatment that she faces as a racialized immigrant as a way of life and that she just has to accept it and challenge it only when necessary so it's it's a way of life for anyone in Canada maybe now it's gonna change because everybody know like the government is aware of it and most people are aware of it now so I hope something will will be good come out of all of this and know that regardless of your color or where you're from we have the same goal we're the same human being we have the same blood we have the same heart the same eyes the same nose the same mouth i mean what's so different other than the color that's that's all there is so the color should never play a part in your life what was the main thing that made the process of immigration easier well now it's easier for people to migrate here that there is a lot of help for most people the time we I migrated there were no help there were no help for my family either maybe there were but we didn't seek out any help we seek out you have to work we have to work we have to work hard so we choose that path not not to get help from from anyone or the government we we help ourselves we help each other you know so it's one of that part that you don't there is help right now you look there's a lot of help for immigrants coming here but in our time there wasn't so like really just a sense of community community because definitely if if there right now you have people who come which we help when they migrate here with clothes furniture and all these things so and that come from the church so you have you have community services that help a lot back then there were no such thing at least we didn't know of it if there were so you have to work hard and help each other what made the process of immigration harder what make it harder as i said before is that you came to a country for the first time you know no one so you have to figure it out to everything you have to figure it out if you go for the unemployment yes you're a new Canadian yes the first thing you have to do is go and get your social insurance number you know and there you fill out a form you apply for it they send it for you you get that part over with but there were no guidance you dare no guidance to say this is if you're going to do this this is what you do this is where you go the barriers that my grandmother faced upon entering Canada 
illustrates just some of the challenges that immigrants may face upon moving to a new country like Canada. There is difficulty in finding a job. For some immigrants, there's a language barrier, lack of resources, including lack of access to public services and social programs, finding affordable housing in Canada, which is especially give, difficult given today's economy, getting used to the cold weather, which was a concern of my grandmother since she came from a tropical state of Jamaica, overcoming homesickness from one's country of origin, dealing with discrimination, which she talks heavily about, finding a new social network, including friends and family. How did you stay in touch with your cultural identity upon moving to Canada? Always cook the food. <laughs> <laughs> you stay in touch with it because you never, um, you never missed it. We always get together and we celebrate. And as a West Indian person, we celebrate all the culture in Canada. For everything Canadian celebrate, we as the West Indian family, we celebrate with them. You know, so we didn't pick and choose who we celebrate, we celebrate with everyone. And we celebrate ours as well. Because other people celebrate with us like Carbana. They all celebrate with us. And so when, you know, it's, it's, it's something that what make you happy. And it made me happy to for my heritage. I love my food, my culture, because I think it's it's a very nice way. It's different, yes, but it's nice. And you can enjoy the music as well. The music is good. Not that I'm a really music person, but the music is good, you know. Everybody seems to love the music. My grandmother is very proud of her cultural identity as a Jamaican and is so quick to remember anyone who mentions Jamaica in passing or in a positive light. So she details a story about a radio host. And I, I remember about maybe about 50 years ago or maybe longer, there was this announcer, John Gilbert, and he would say, and he worked for City TV, I think it was City TV, but then City TV just coming in. And he said, he went to Jamaica on a vacation. And he said, I went to the most beautiful island in the world. Where the people are so beautiful, they're so nice. And guess what? Everything is no problem. <laughs> Jamaica, no problem. And he said, if you want to have... Uh, and he was a radio announcer on the radio. He was saying, if you want to have a good time, you go to Jamaica. <laughs> so lots of people enjoy that culture and that, that, um, that way of life. And, it, and it's, it's a relaxing life. How did you find connection of people with similar backgrounds upon moving to Canada? You know, you don't find them, you know, they find you. They find you, you go to church, there will be somebody there with similar background and um, you go sometime to the supermarket and you'll be shopping and you're picking up the same thing they're picking up, like if I'm at the buying yam or pumpkin, there will be somebody over there who know that and they'll come and say, 
so so is this a good piece or this is a good one i will say yeah how do you know i said you knock it with your finger and if it sounds good it's good <laughs> so you know you'll always find people always because they're everywhere you know they're everywhere Immigrating to a new country and trying to find people of a similar cultural background may seem daunting, especially for immigrants that come from far-off places. But my grandmother had a better time than most, especially since during the 1960s, 1970s, which is when she immigrated, and in the 1980s, the number of black newcomers to Canada grew, with 30-40% to 40 of them being from Jamaica. And the place that she immigrated to, which is Toronto, has half of the black population of Canada living in it. Did the racism you experience as a first-generation immigrant impact your parenting? Yes, 100%. Because it impacted me in a way that I didn't want my children to have friends. I didn't want them to go out. I just want them to go to church and home. I didn't want them to go to the mall. I just want to keep them safe. And I want them to be educated. And that's that's the only way I could have done it is by keeping them in games. They were very active in games. Games, everything, you name it. Piano, basketball, baseball, baton. They, I, I wanted them to be very busy, very busy. They didn't really have time for friends. I make sure of that, that they, they live a life that they will, in the day when they grow up, choose their wife and everything. It's a wife that would be proud of them from their upbringing right back to their education. And that's, that's one of it. My grandmother's experience Parenting her children as a first-generation immigrant reflects the experiences of many racialized immigrants wanting your children to be successful. A quote that comes to mind is, having to work twice as hard to get half as far. So she really wanted to give her children the best shot at life, even if it came at the detriment of their mental health and well-being. How did your children experience anti-black racism in the Canadian school system? Yes, they experience racism, and uh, and this is your dad, and this is a story he told me when he went to Thunder Bay for his engineering degree. He locks his hair down, and I I was surprised to see that because I haven't seen him for at least about six months while he was there in. He, he, he was really studying before he was coming home on the weekend and then he stopped and then when he came home with this locks in his ear and I said why are you doing this I don't like it you're a man you're supposed to look like a man not one woman locks the hair down and do this but these are women you're a man so he said well mommy I will tell you all about it when I get that ring that's the engineering ring. I said, I will tell you all about it. So when it was coming up for his graduation, he graduates and 
and now we have the ring ceremony and then he took the picture and then for the next ceremony he decided I will cut my hair and he said because this professor make a statement and says black people do not do not go for education because their brains are like a little pea you see what little pea is it's the smallest thing you maybe you can see other than a barley grain and that's the brains black people have that's why they never mount to march they never learned they never this and he was really putting down black people and to me for a man who is educated and you educated other people children what statement is that to make now if my son had told me that then and he knew it i would be up there telling that professor a few things that maybe he don't know and don't know that we know and because i said to him i was coming up there to tell him every time you put that windshield washer on think of a black person every time you do a heart transplant think of a black doctor who was only cleaning up in the hall and watch everything what was happening and later went to medical school and get his license and perform the first heart transplant yeah and the white person take credit for it it's only after the doctor died the truth came out that they didn't do the surgery the black man did the surgery plasma our high-end board and we could go on and on and on or refrigerator come on there is so much black people have accomplished so people can say whatever they want to say but at least when you say it say the truth say what is the truth that black, black people are are important just like any other person how do you think your children's experience with anti-black racism in the school system affected their future career paths affect them no it didn't affect them because they they already know what they want to do and it never stopped them i can tell you one story with um, primrose she chose nipsing for teachers college because it's a five-year course she decided that's where she'd go okay that's where she went and she were doing essay on women culture so she was done for reading week she said mommy I have to go to the Toronto library to get a book because I need this book because she's not at school to get it from the library there so she get it from the Toronto library so she went down she get a book come home she do it from that book her professor seen it and of course the source of that book didn't locate it at the university so she said where she failed primrose on and that said she plagiarized primrose went back to her and says when she sent that says that she said no i got all my information from this book in the library toronto library so primrose gave her the book the day she was there and everything well of course everything checked out and she decided well she'll take a trip down to the library to make sure everything was up and up then she went back and she didn't change the mark for primrose she didn't but she take off the plagiarizing thing because she realized she didn't do that so primrose 
that year, Primo's needed that one credit and Primo's didn't graduate. Primo's come home, she said, mommy, that's it, I'm not going back, because she was hurt. She's not going back. She came back, she said, I'm going to go to York and do, her word was a bird course and that's it. So I said to her, how much is course Primrose? She said, $600, mom. I said, okay. But she have to go because it's a one credit. So it's one year. One year she have to go. And she go for the year and she do Spanish. And she graduated. She didn't get the credit. She got 69 point something. So she didn't get that credit. She didn't. She said, well, you know what? I'm going to just get a job and go to work. And she did. She went. She got a job. She working at Epson. She don't graduate university. She had a job. She working at Epson. And she would come home. She would call. Oh, mommy. You know, I can't believe. I go to school for almost five years. And I'm working with all these people. And I just can't take it. I said, you know what you have to do? You have to go back to Nipsing. You have to go back. And she said, no, I'm not going back. I said, yes, you are. I took her up, registered her back in her class for one year. Primrose go to Nipsing. Primrose get to graduate. While we sit there, I have her, her gold flowers sit out there with, and you get the program. Her name wasn't on the program. And at this point, I said, I can't believe they do this to her again. So I saw the dean you know you have the thing dean so i went up to him i said my daughter is graduating today and i haven't seen her name in the program and he said yes her name is there i i, I saw it so I, he said okay i'm gonna go back and look so you go back up there look at the book at the podium come back down and say to me yes her name is there ma'am she's graduating i said well who would i have to speak to to get her name in a book because i, I keep this book and he said, okay, go upstairs, da-da-da. I went and I, and later on, they sent me a, a program with Primo's name in the book. That was the point I'm trying to make. How racism is so is such a horrible thing. And how it can affect, because it affects her that she didn't want to go back to school. That's so bad that that, that affected her. But I didn't let you get away with it i have to say yes you're going back the day after graduation we're out on the lawn taking pictures with all the deans and professors and everyone and her peers she didn't have much peers graduating with her because of what they did what this and this professor she came up and want to take picture with families and she came up and Primrose over on the other side taking picture with some of her other friends and Primrose is waving to me mommy no no and so we took the picture and then after Primrose said mommy that was the professor that that do what she did to me and and let me didn't graduate and I said what out of all the professors out there why was she come to take picture with us to show her Yes, I tried to keep her down, but you couldn't. Primrose rise above it. So she tried to keep Primrose down, but she couldn't. And that's one thing that I always will remember. And today, Primrose is a school teacher.
you know so she couldn't stop her she tried but she couldn't so this is why I always said whatever the teacher wants to do you can't give in to it because that's what they want they, they look for the weak and then they pray on the weak to say yes you dropped out and yeah I know so they can have that to use on other kids when my grandmother said that despite all of the anti-black racism she and her children experienced, they always rose to the challenge to confront it. It reminded me of the poem from Maya Angelou, Still I Rise. So an excerpt from it states, You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Now to transition to our conversation more broadly about racism in Canada. What is the most blatantly racist thing that you've experienced in Canada? Being kicked out of an apartment building mm -hmm. that we were rented and it was very embarrassing and heartbroken and we didn't have anywhere to live so we stayed in the rented truck mm -hmm. and then later went to my sister home and then on the weekend we look for a new place to find a new place to move into. Can you think of can you think about any specific examples of being treated differently where being a minority was the only explanation given? Yes. Being at work one time where I went to the lunchroom, I sit in a chair because there were no names on the chair and this white lady came over to me and she said I've been sitting in here for 10 years and now you're in my chair get out. So I said okay and I got up and I quit that job because I realized that that's not a place I wanted to work so I quit. My grandmother later talks about anti-black racism being perpetuated through the school system. School system is not fair to colored children. I don't care whether they're Indian or, or Chinese or whatever they are. They, it's not fair to any one of the minority. They always face something. Later, my grandmother talks about racism more broadly as it relates to other minorities and not just anti-black racism and that we need to build Canada together and not be divided by race. But you look at it and when you tell the story to a lot of people, they said, the Jewish people that face the same thing, the Indian, the Chinese, everybody, because that's what Canadian is good for. They determine who they want to like and who they don't want to like. They don't say, well, we have to be fair for everyone. You know, they decide. Now they decide uh, against so many people. But even though they decide against, they still couldn't stop them. You look downtown, you see all Chinese side. You look up Brampton, you see all Indian sign. Come on, you can't stop them. So just love them and let them build the country with you. Because that's what these immigrants do. They build the country. They don't destroy Canada. They build Canada. To finish our discussion about racism more broadly in Canada, my grandmother exclaims that, and I quote, we won. 
and I'm hurt over all this, but again, I should say we won. Yeah. We won because my children are educated, and that's what I fought for, regardless what the school system say. Mm-hmm. I, I beat the system. They all went to university, so you don't get no better than that. And they all have a profession. You don't get no better than that either. So the system is there for everyone, but it's for you not to give in to the system because the system say you can't. You have to say you can't, but you must say I can. I can, I can achieve, and so it, it's a struggle. But if there's no struggle, how would you know that you win? To conclude our discussion, what is a piece of advice you would give to your past self upon immigrating to Canada? Honestly, mm-hmm. I would never leave Jamaica. <laughs> no way. No, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't, because it was it was hard, you know. I grew up in a home with my mom and dad, and no one know how it feels until you feel it. To know you didn't have anywhere to live because you kicked out of an apartment because of your color, but we went to we took them to court and we won anyway, you know. But that feeling is. It's a feeling that you don't wish upon anyone to be kicked out of an apartment that you pay your money and you're moving in. We didn't even move in. They kick us out before we move in. It's something that it's the most horrible thing you could do to another human being. All because of your color. So that will live with me for the rest of my life, Naomi. It will live with me. But thank God for a good policeman. And he was white. He was young, he was white, and he came up and he said, you know, you should take them to court because this don't happen in Canada. That's what he said. Take them to small claims court, go to City Hall and register your claim. And that's what we did. And we won. And the judge was so upset about it. He said, this wasn't the court we to take them. It should be the higher court to take these people. Because this is Canada on the section, this section, that these things don't happen here. But it did happen. Because it happened to us. It resonated with me. I said, I should have never at that time. I said, I should never leave Jamaica. I have a home. I live with my mom and dad. It don't get no better than that. You know, but you listen to what everyone say, how great it is. They didn't tell you about the color thing. That these people could be present against you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Meaning Making Podcast, and I'd like to thank my special guest, Polly Ferez, my grandmother, for her insight about the manifestations of structural violence and anti-black racism, and just talking about some of the effects that it has had on her life. I think the experience of my grandmother throughout this whole conversation is best summed up by this last clip. I, I have no regret, really. Because I live here more than I live in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. 